Hello, everyone, and welcome to Artifacts. I'm your host, Marissa Dickens, and today's guest is the executive director of Toledo's Sofia Quintero Art and Cultural Center, Taylor Bursiaga. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm super excited. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I discovered Sofia Quintero when I went to the Dia de los Puertos fundraiser, and I loved hearing you speak because you were so passionate about (laughs) what you were doing, and I loved what the center was doing with kids and just the Toledo community using arts and all the things that you do. So I wanted to have you on to talk about it and your journey into the organization. (laughs) Okay, sweet. Yeah. So who, who was Sofia Quintero? So Sophia was kind of a local community organizer, very involved. She was the first Latina to be on the school board of education and to be the president. And so I want to say, I don't know if it was in the 70s or 80s, but obviously at that time to be a minority and a female and to become president was, you know, a pretty big feat. And her parents were both migrant farm workers, and it was just really important to her to preserve the culture, but she really focused on youth and making sure youth, especially youth of Latino descent, had the same opportunities as everyone else. And so she worked with a lot of youth and unfortunately she became ill and passed away. And so her husband and her two best friends then kind of wanted to obviously continue her legacy and her work. And so they started the Sophia Quintana Art Cultural Center. And what year was it founded? Gosh, we, um, I think this is our 24th year this year. So we've been around for for quite a while, actually. So we've grown. We haven't, like I said, we've never been the size we are now, but, Mm -hmm. you know, we started in one building and have have grown on since then. So are you from the Toledo area? Yeah. And I'm an old South Thunder. I'm from right this area. My first apartment is literally across the street from the center. So I'm an old South Thunder through and through. And I've been involved in the Sophia Candido Center maybe since I was like, gosh, 11 or 12. Really? So wow. I've definitely, yeah, I've grown up running through the buildings and seeing them renovated and seeing them grow. So I used to be one of the kids participating in the class. Now I get to be a staff member, which is awesome. But yeah, I'm definitely from the Toledo area and specifically from the old South End. What did the organization used to look like then when you were younger? What was the beginning The beginning was we had one staff member, which is Joe, who is currently our master gardener. And Joe is probably the only staff member that has had every position. He's been executive director. He's been a grant writer. He's been the bookkeeper. He's been on the board. It was just him. That's all the funding they had was to cover him. So at the time, it was just him kind of writing one grant at a time, doing one partnership at a time. And I just remember coming after school when I had to and hanging out in the office until he was done with work. Like I said, over time, it seemed like every five to seven years, we physically grew with either land or like another building. But that was pretty much the first part of it. That's crazy. Yeah, I feel like in any art, grant writing is so key and how you get funding and how do you market what you're doing and I guess your your own self-advocator for this absolutely yeah you have to be you have to be because everyone not that it's a bad thing but in grant writing obviously everyone wants their program to be funded so you have to make sure you're advocating yourself so and I would say the communities change a lot too I mean I remember you would probably 
not be able to walk up and down Broadway unless, I mean, without really coming into contact with prostitutes, drug dealers, human trafficking, which unfortunately that's all still around, but like it has changed dramatically. Like I, you know, we'll say 20 years ago, I'd have been nervous to have my daughter walk up and down the street. And now she's on our grounds all the time because she's just kind of always here hanging out. Mm -hmm. But it has literally like physically in such a great deal over time. So it was really cool too, to kind of see that envelope and kind of grow. And the artwork that's surrounding the area now too, yeah. is just amazing. I love murals that. and all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how did you then become executive director? What was that transition? Well, I have only ever been in nonprofit. I have never worked for a for-profit and I've been in nonprofit. I don't even know how long now. <laughs> what other nonprofits have you been a part of? So I was the executive director of the Maumee Chamber of Commerce, which most people don't realize is a nonprofit. It is not funded by the city. It's a self-sustainable organization. I worked at the Valentine Theater, which a nonprofit runs that, the Toledo Cultural Arts Center. So I was in that nonprofit. I worked at Viva South CDC, which is no longer unfortunately around, but it was one of the last few CDCs in the South Toledo area. Once I got to the chamber, which I absolutely love that job, but there was definitely a component missing, which was my culture. A a daughter then, who I think probably really made that more prevalent as she was started growing up, I started realizing how much I was missing my culture as we were still involved, but not like it as immersed as we are now. So the board had asked, I want to say one or two times before, and then this third time about five years ago. So I, I left the chamber and then came over here. Wow. That's interesting that you say, cause I'm, I'm half Mexican and you know, mm-hmm. we have like the food. We don't, I've never had a quinceanera. There's yep. never been like the Dio de los Muertos. So we never really talk about that, which I think is interesting that you can have this culture and this ethnicity, but you never really talk about those events that are yeah. so celebrated in some different area, which I love that the center is kind of raising awareness about those. Yeah. And we cultures. just really, Yeah, I mean, we try to encourage people because nobody's going to teach you that culture unless you like are advocate again, advocating. Unfortunately, as grandparents pass or theos and theos or whoever it is, like those stories, those recipes, that all unfortunately goes with them, obviously, unless they've taught you wherever you are in your life, whether you're a teenager, a college student or adult, if you don't know, especially as you, you have children, like it's your responsibility. You need to learn about your culture and you need to know about it. And sometimes find myself when I meet people and I'm like, well, what's your culture and where you're from? And they're like, oh, we're just American. I'm like, but no, like what's your culture? <laughs> like, yeah. what? And I'm like, oh, that's it. I'm American. I'm like, I, I'm not, I don't know how to better ask this from you, but like, for me, it's, it's my identity. It's who I am. So to not have that part, you know, so we're always meeting, you know, Latinos, mostly Mexicans, but Latinos, maybe Puerto Ricans who are like, I just, for whatever reason, I wasn't taught, you know, this, the Spanish stop with my parents or the tradition stop with my parents. And so they come in as an adult saying, but I'm a parent now. And I, I kind of feel not bad, but I'm shortchanging my kids because I don't have that to pass down to them. So then they get involved with us. Yeah. So talk about, I know in that speech that you gave the three pillars yeah, um, yeah. Sophia. So it's art, agriculture, and oh my god, I'm cuisine. another one. Cuisine, culinary and cuisine. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. can you touch on what you try to focus with each of those, and then some of the programs that you implement with each of those pillars? Well, overall, our mission is to preserve and share the culture, and you can do that in different ways. We're just 
picking three sections. There's obviously from language to history, geography. I mean, you could go on and on. We focus on those. Um, so within the art program, we have um, literally an art program housed in an art gallery. We call it the Jose Martinez Art Gallery, which Jose Martinez was a local artist that actually used to hang outside the building and paint. And he passed away, And but he was very involved. He was really big on helping kids work through some of the obstacles in life through art, rather than maybe getting involved in drugs or gangs, like how can art help you with that? So anyways, he passed away, but he was a great um, partner with us and we named this building. And so in here, we do our most popular ongoing are our pottery classes. We have adult pottery classes, but we do lots of kids activities. Mostly we focus on the summertime, but we have a summer camp that the kids can come do. And then we'll have different kind of more short sessions of different art projects, depending obviously on funding and grant. We have a dance studio where we have dance classes, salsa teacher, and we had a traditional Mexican folklore group that also, so it was kind of the popular salsa, which is going on right now, but then it was also like the very traditional to make sure that was preserved. And then we just work with a lot of artists pre-COVID and we're hoping to get back to it. We had exhibitions where local artists, you know, we try to definitely focus on Latinos, but really any local artists that maybe didn't have an opportunity to really showcase their artwork for whatever reason, we would host exhibitions and an open reception and just, again, really giving them an opportunity to kind of share their talent. And then last but not least, we have our Tiendita, which has really grown. That is our pretty much our art store. And I really explain it yeah. like if you would go to the art museum or the library, they have those cool little stores with like local knickknacks. That's us, but mostly obviously Latino. But it's really cool. I mean, we have jewelry, we have clothing, we have honey. I got some cards when I went. Like yeah, some funny shirts. Stationery. I mean, it's just really, really cool stuff that you definitely would not find anywhere else. And again, that's a way of sharing the culture. And then the big part of the art program are the murals. Yeah, um, so talk about those. So, you also mentioned there's a mural that there's no adults involved. It was all kids, yeah, right? <laughs> that was my bright idea. Yeah. So, um, so we have partnered with BGSU. And for the past, I want to say it's over like 12 years now, we have pretty much put together one community mural per summer. BG steps in a lot. They have an art class that we um, work with Gordon Ricketts there. Pretty much it started 12 years ago with Joe and Gordon wanting to do a mural on the side of a building. And it's really grown to become like a positive identity of this area. I mean, you can't really drive through, you know, Broadway without being encompassed with really cool murals. But this past summer, we received some funding from the city for a kids program. And so I thought, well, let's do a kids only mural. We always have the college students in it, but like, let's have the kids from the neighborhood. So they painted it inside for safety reasons, but it's actually on a site or on a front of a building. And they did the tree of life, but they did it with agricultural and food items. So they kind of did a different take on it, but it was so cool. I mean, literally no adults helped. They brought in like fruit and they were trying to practice shading and like, it was just so fun to see. And the big thing for me is why I wanted it is because when they went to school or drove by, I wanted them to be able to point to something and be like, I contributed to that. I helped make my community look better through the mural so I was really excited that we got to work that out so we'll continue doing the murals right now we're trying to work with ODOT they've recently had to demolish one of the first murals which was on the highway because of the reconstruction 
And that was a huge thing in the community. They were pretty upset, which is good to know that they're very passionate. They've really kind of encompassed the murals is like, that's our thing. That's what we do. So when they came down, community members were really upset, but we're working with ODOT that once construction's done, we're expecting new murals to go right back up, which is awesome to see that it's a priority, you know, for them as well. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, that's pretty much what the art program does. Then we have culinary and cuisine, which is, I would say one of the more newer programs when you're talking about a 24 year history, we, I want to say maybe six or seven years ago, renovated a building and built Nana's kitchen, which is a fully licensed commercial kitchen. And what we do in there is twofold. We do cultural cuisine. So that's just people coming in for fun and working with our chef and learning about different types of cuisine and their full hands-on cooking classes. So we're getting ready to announce our 2022, the first quarter. So we're doing Honduras, Brazil, Black History Month. Our chef's going to really focus on the African culture and how that is so heavily influenced, you know, from Dominican Republic to Puerto Rico, you know, really how those two cultures really, really interlap. So we're going to do some really cool foods with that. And then paella. Paella has been one of the most requested. So we're doing that. (laughs) People can come in. And again, food's such a huge part of any culture, but it's a huge part of the Latino culture. So you can come in and do hands-on classes. And then the other part of the cuisine is really focused on the surrounding near community, which is teaching healthy cooking classes and really trying to provide as much opportunity for youth and adults in the era of how to cook healthy. Unfortunately, the old South End is considered a food desert. There's not enough produce or access to fresh produce. And so we try to really make sure as they're getting produce, we're not just giving that to them, but we're really giving them an opportunity of what they can do with it. How can you dehydrate it? Can you freeze it? Substitutions. And our chef does a really nice job of taking traditional Latino recipes, which are not the healthiest. And really trying to say, how can we preserve that recipe, but maybe start adding in some healthy substitutions, especially for the Latino community, which again, like diabetes and heart disease, unfortunately, are really high. We love lard and flour and bacon fat and all that stuff. So how do we not, not do that? So, and then the last part is the agriculture. And that is an older program and that pretty much the mission of that is to kind of help with the food desert problem is to distribute pesticide free produce out to the community and that's absolutely free. We have over 50 beds of produce for over two acres of land from zucchini to chili peppers, squash, lettuce, herbs, fruit, um, cabbage, the list goes on and on. But pretty much we're constantly growing and harvesting and again, making sure that that's getting out to the community at no cost to them. Luckily, we're funded by a grant that allows us to do that. But agriculture, the the biggest part is the, the food. But the other part is most people don't realize we actually manage almost six to seven acres of land. So we have a lot of land that we take care of. So a lot of that is the produce, but we also have community gardens. We have a park, play sets. We're just really big on green space and beautification overall. The last part is we just finished our newest garden, which we're calling Ohio Native Grounds. And that's where we planted over, I got to remember, over 500 plants, over 50 bushes, and a brand new fruit orchard, which I'm really excited about. So there's over 20 fruit trees 
pears, peaches, apples, that in a couple of years, again, will be completely free for the community just to come and, and take. But again, it's not just about giving them food, but it's also just like making the community look nice and just having nice spaces for families, you know, to come and use and for kids to play. So yeah, so those are the three sectors and kind of some of the programs that they that they spend their time on. I love how this is an organization for the community. And like, like you said, beautification and learning about your culture and learning how to cultivate good food, how to cultivate yeah. these programs, and then taking that, what you have in this little community hub and bringing it out further with the murals and all that you're doing, which I think is amazing. I love oh, it. <laughs> how is it with like the little kids when you see their faces doing all these classes and things? Oh, it's so cool. And I try to pop into classes because I'm on the administrative side. I always yeah. tell people, I don't get to do like the fun stuff, but I definitely make sure I pop in. So over the summer, the kids summer sessions did the mural and then the other half did pottery and we got some funding that we were able to purchase pottery wheels and it was so cool because every I made sure to go around and just I just like to talk to the kids one-on-one -on -one. every kid that was in there not zero none of them had ever seen or worked on a pottery wheel and it was just so cool because they were on there and me and the art coordinator were laughing because we had no idea what they were making because I, I mean, the pot, I've been on it. It's not easy by any means at all. And it takes some strength, but they were just so proud and they were like whipping out pieces of something within like 15 minutes. And normally, you know, it takes quite a while, but I think they were just so excited and they just wanted to keep reproducing something that literally came like from them. And then they got to go in the kiln and they got to paint it and then take it home. But it's just moments like that that are like, are very, very cool. And one part too, for some of the older kids is we just obviously wrapped up Dia de los Muertos. So after your event that you came to, we then, that's kind of the kickoff for us. That's actually not the end. We then had over 330 students come through and that's yeah. where um, we call it an interactive tour. So people love to come and take tours of our buildings and see everything. And an interactive tour is where during the tour, you actually stop in the art studio and you make an art project. While you're touring the kitchen, you actually stop and cook a meal with our, with our chef. So it was really interesting because we had some questions about Dia de los Muertos and really, I guess, students understanding what the holiday was. And we had one school that was, some of the students were really nervous about coming because in their head, this was be like more of a haunted house Oh, and yeah, so, yeah. and it was interesting because as some of the staff like talked about it I, it, I just reiterated the staff. I said, this is a great opportunity for you all to remember. This is why we're here. This is why we do what we do because for whatever reason, they haven't had the opportunity to properly learn about the holiday. And they're thinking about scary skeletons and goblins and seances and speaking with the dead, like just something that is completely opposite. And I just said, this is a great opportunity for us to really remember, like, it's important that we're here. So as we got to spend time with those students who are a little older, again, that's just as, as really cool because they get to comprehend a little more too. And you can kind of get in a little deeper with them about losing loved ones or next year you can do your own altar. So it's really cool as they kind of speak, like, I'd like to do one for my grandma next year great, we can help you. You don't have to, have to do it here, but we will happily help you if you want to do something small in your bedroom or at home. They spend all day with you, but they may take one little part, you know, what you mm -hmm. say and like it does play out as they kind of continue on. So 
Yeah, and you have that visual of the ofrendas. Okay, this Dio de los Muertos event, you do a different theme every year, correct? Yes, yes. And I loved, I never heard of this before, like the idea of the, the monarch butterfly. The monarch butterflies, yeah. So can you explain that whole idea? Yeah. So I think that's probably the one part of Dia de los Muertos that's actually like least known. Most people know about the altars or the calaveras, but monarchs, most people have I met don't totally know. So yeah, the the monarch migration from the U.S. to Mexico, the timeline lines up perfectly with Dia de los Muertos. And so as monarchs migrate to Mexico, they land in a very specific area, I believe it's called the Tri-Volcanic Belt, and they also land in a very specific area in Michoacan, Mexico, and it's always literally right around Dia de los Muertos. So it has been believed over time and over generations that the souls of our loved ones are traveling through as monarch butterflies. There's two beliefs. There's one is that every monarch butterfly is a soul of your loved one. There's also a belief, though, that if the soul of your loved one has not fully transitioned into heaven, that they are pretty much in limbo, if you want to say, that they are also a monarch butterfly. Once people realize the connection with monarch butterflies, I always tell people, go back and look at all the costumes and parades because the wings are everywhere. Now that like you see it, you can't unsee it kind of thing. So you'll see the orange, the white, the black. It's believed specifically in the village in Michoacan that as you pass away, um, I think I said this that night, they drill a hole in your casket because they believe your soul will exit the casket as a monarch butterfly. And so it's just a very, very special, even you'll see watching videos um, if monarch butterflies come around the village or the graves or the um, ofrendas during that time, I mean, they're fully connecting that that's one of their loved ones. We try to share different themes and different parts to kind of give people a little deeper part of the holiday and not just the general conception of it. And so you created this little space with the ofrendas and then you had like the butterflies and like Mm -hmm. little facts. So what do you put in an ofrenda, for example? What are some things that you can put? Yeah, so the ofrenda is actually the theme next year. And the ofrenda is actually, it's very like technical and very logistical. Oh, wow. I can't, I can't go over everything, but I mean, so for an example, most ofrendas or altars have three levels and that's actually on purpose. That is actually to represent either the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit, or it's represent heaven, pretty much that limbo state and earth. And so mm-hmm. there's tons of those little symbols from the color of the flower, which is the marigold flower that has a very strong connection to the types of food you put on, even the candles, the candles are placed in different directions, because it's supposed to symbolize that there is light for your loved one coming from the north, south, the east and the west, because we don't know exactly where they're coming from. So people put candles in every direction to make sure that they're fully covered. There's also different colors of flowers. Uh, The marigold is the main flower because it's said to have the highest scent and the strongest scent. So again, when you're trying to I guess you want to say, help your loved one find their altar. You want something that they're going to smell all the way from heaven. So it's believed that this flower has the strongest scent of any flowers, and that's why it's used. But you may see other colors. You could see purple, which means that the person passed away very recently. So that family actually might still be in mourning. And it's still like, this is not necessarily a happy time for them, but they wanted to do an altar. You could see white, which I believe symbols purity, or if the loved one was a child. The big parts of the altar are the candles, 
food and the food can change. The food really depends on what your loved one likes. And then pictures and hobbies, if maybe they were a sports fan or they were into art or sewing. I always give my grandmother an example. She was a seamstress. So her altar would have pictures, but then all her her kind of knickknacks and all her tools and utensils and thread and thimbles and material we would set up. And she was an amazing cook. So we'd probably have some of her pots and pans. So, you know, there's definitely some parts that every ofrenda has, but then you get it really individualized. And I always explain the altar that, you know, imagine your loved one is coming from heaven. That's a long journey to come visit us and they need some help and guidance. So I try to explain when I'm explaining an ofrenda for someone that really hasn't seen where or doesn't understand it is it's kind of a map that soul has to find their family well what's a better way to find your family when you're building an altar that represents you your favorite foods if you were a sports fan what your hobbies were your picture you're as a soul you're going to be attracted to that because that's you that's your symbolism so that's kind of how I explain it. But yeah, the altar, it can get very logistic. I didn't realize how specific it was. Yeah. And it, I mean, I, these are like very basic examples. We have yeah. a whole thing that we break down. Like what you said, it's like a map of that person. Yeah. That's how I them. try to simply explain it. Because you're trying to pick the best parts that you remember of them yep. to help them yeah. guide them back. You, you, oh, yeah. Really, they need to find you. And it's so very food, beautiful. Probably thought yeah I really like it that. is and we find the altars are really therapeutic honestly we have people that have done them every year we've had people that this is their first year but I would say 10 out of 10 times though when someone does it they always come to us like this was so nice for me whether it's a recent death or someone that has been passed away either way you're having to take time to collect those items and you find yourself going through pictures and reminiscing and, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I saw that Jersey. I remember a story of a game we went to and I laughed so hard, you know, all of a sudden you start connecting these things. So it's, it's really therapeutic for people to do. Yeah. That's, that's really nice that you can go, like you said, reminisce. That's yeah, nice. absolutely. Absolutely. So what other events then do you have coming up? Because you said this is like the Realist Mertos is like you're launching. Yeah, so we just finished that. So right now we are getting pretty much to announce the first quarter of next year. So again, the big part is going to be the cooking classes. We have one every month. And then I know our art coordinator is getting ready to announce the next session of pottery classes, which will also start in, in um, January. And then we get ready for our second largest fundraiser, which is Entre Amigos. Entre Amigos is really celebrating the three sectors, art, food, and agriculture. So we host a large exhibition and it was pre-COVID. We're hoping to get back to it. It was all about having a meal, but very different from Dia de los Muertos, where we had long rows of tables and then just big parts of food that you had to pass around. It wasn't a per person. We really wanted people to have that kind of come around the table and you eat off my plate and share and breaking bread together. So we'll kind of start getting ready for that because that will be in April as well. How did you, the organization during COVID, how did you guys provide these still like these programs and resources during that time? Honestly, I'm so proud of the team because we honestly, I explained to the board, we did not cancel or stop. We just thought of how we could adapt and really cancel was like not a word as far as programming events we had to cancel but like programming of services we didn't we didn't say well how do we when do we restart it we all came around the table and was like how do we still do this you know kind of thing especially 
really all three sectors. So agriculture and cuisine paired up pretty much what we forecasted, unfortunately, which is what will would have happened is as the schools closed down, we understood that there was going to be a big gap for kids in getting access to food. A lot of the kids in this area, the hot breakfast and hot lunch, that's the main two meals that they may get because school is giving to it. So you have to think as school closed, that closes. So we turned our healthy cooking classes, not into educational class, but we did, I want to say it was over like 1800 brown bag lunches where we pretty Mm. much came in every day and we had, we switched out staff. So no one would get too wore out, but we pretty much, our chef, you know, came up with really good, healthy sandwiches. I really pushed her to like, we're not going to just do the ham and bologna and a bag of Doritos. Like we are healthy. That's what we teach. How can we do quinoa in a wrap and carrots? You know, it's going to take some more time. It's going to take some more resources, but that's what we did. And every week we changed it and we would just open our doors and whoever needed came through. And then we focused on the seniors for the gardening agricultural, because as we made calls, I asked one of our staff, just call your participants, the the community members and like talk to them and start taking notes on what they're going through. And she found as, as she talked, the seniors were the ones that were being most affected because their kids or their friends who used to come and check on them or give them a ride to Kroger or give them a ride to Rite Aid, they were no longer doing that. And so um, after having some conversation, she came to us. And so we decided we were going to focus on seniors. So we just went and got in our cars and started passing out the fresh produce, you know, just delivering some extra stuff um, with the seniors. So we continued to focus and make sure that the produce got out. Obviously, fresh produce does have a shelf life as well. So we wanted to make sure that we weren't wasting anything. So we continued on that. And then the art part was really cool. You know, we noticed that this was for anybody going to be a really hard time, but especially for kids, like just mentally and emotionally, this was definitely a hard time. So we took art as an opportunity, like give them some art items to do so they can work through this. So we came up with what we call take home art kits and oh, they were it. all, yeah, they were all, um, though Latino based. So they were all cultural art activities that our art coordinator had found. So one was Televeta tiles. Televeta tiles are very prominent in the Mexican culture. And there's actually an entire city and community over these Televeta tiles. So anyways, one of the kits had to do with one of the kids making their own Televeta tile. But then we would put in history about it. We would include a map and geography so that they weren't just like painting. They were really understanding. And that was a completely community self-fundraise. That was just good old us going on Facebook and saying, we need to raise $4,000. And we did it. And here's, wow. over, you know, I think it was over 800 art kits that we passed out. And there was four different themes to make sure if the kids got more than one, that we were still challenging them and not giving them the same thing. And so that was really cool. That turned into just kind of a concept where we can't do our art classes, but there's no reason that kids, especially now during that time, shouldn't be doing art. So that's kind of some of the ways. So again, every sector, nobody stopped. We just, you know, that's had awesome. a, all a staff, yeah, we just had a staff meeting and we just started like, okay, could you do this? Or could we do that? Or what do we need to do this? And that's just kind of how we figured it out. I'm finding that nonprofits are very scrappy. And very oh, yeah. just like <laughs> adapt, you have to be. Cause I just, I interviewed um, 
the director, the founder of the modern dance company. And she started out with like one dancer and then like, how do you get the space and how do you get yeah. the rehearsals and things? And, and it's just really cool to hear about how it's grown. Yeah, scrappy and- is a great word to express <laughs> any nonprofit. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. I love scrappy. it. Oh, so for listeners, how can you donate? If you go to our website, there's definitely a page where you can donate. If there's a sector that maybe you're a little more interested in, you know, gardening, food, art, you can definitely choose in that donation to make sure it goes to that area. Or you can give a general donation, which we really appreciate as well, because we have a lot of buildings and a lot of land to take care of that all the sectors, not just one, they all use and can kind of cross. So definitely through our website, if you're not comfortable with that, you know, give us a call, you can mail it in or, you know, even come by if you want to see the space, come bring your donation and we can show you around. Go a little Um, shop too. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we will take in-kind donations, but we definitely just ask that you give us a call. We have more than enough art supplies right now and things like that. But, you know, if you have some things at home that you want to donate, just give us a call. If we definitely can make sure they're used. The one thing we don't want to do is take your donation and store it somewhere. If there's another nonprofit that can use it immediately, we just want to make sure it goes there. So just if you have actual tangible items, just give us a call first and we can make sure that, you know, we're using it or we might suggest somewhere else, you know, that might, might use it better or in a faster way definitely help these kiddos and these programs out because yeah <laughs> what you're doing is so good and then the website i'm pulling it up right here eh, oh yeah phone it's sqacc.org yes and there's no you which a lot of people obviously automatically put in because of the english language but oh, yeah, yeah just sqacc we're kind of nicknamed squawk that's that's squawk. what we call ourselves yeah i'd like to do a little rapid fire questions just oh okay to- there's like a couple of them. So what's your favorite meal to cook? I think over time, my favorite meal probably has become my enchiladas. Just because over time, they have gotten extremely close to my grandma's. Do you put and any so, meat in it or is it just cheese? You chicken beef or? I have done all. The okay. big thing I play around with, with is the sauce because my, I mean, everyone loves their grandma's enchiladas. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like whoever yes. made them. And so as she passed, I knew how to make them. But over time, even my husband said, oh my God, this kitchen smells exactly like grandma. So I think that's my favorite one. Just because again, over time, I've had a couple where like, this is, this tastes exactly like what she used to, used to do. So I would probably say enchilada. Something about grandma's cooking, man. Just, you know, know. (laughs) always so good. (laughs) Yep. What is Toledo's best kept secret? Best kept secret other than us. Um, (laughs) true you know I don't know if I would say one I would say if I can answer this way the nonprofit industry overall I mean we have some really cool places us like Collingwood Art Center you know children's um we work what was it children's theater workshop like all kind of those mid-sized nonprofits which we go into that once you get to know them in detail they just do some really cool stuff. Toledo grows, like, you know, just lots of different ones. So I, I don't know if I can say a place, but I just think we have some very, very cool and very original nonprofits that do some really good work. Who or what inspires you? You know, I would say being in the nonprofit industry, I mean, definitely my parents. I mean, I was raised 
that you gave back to your community. I mean, that was not, I mean, I was raised that you were volunteering, you were campaigning, you were picking up trash. Like that's just what you did. You know, that's what you were expected to do. But I mean, to this day, it's throughout their entire legacy. Obviously my dad is still works, works here um, as the gardener, but I guess just kind of that mentality that, you know, has been passed to me and also to my daughter. I mean, she's at every community cleanup, picking up trash, even when there is not one, she's still picking up trash. <laughs> I mean, she's in the wood shop, she's in the garden, she's with the bees, Aww. you know, but again, every fundraiser, she's like, what's my job? Like, it's just kind of like, I, I know I need to help in some way. So um, I would say though, my parents, cause that's obviously what, what's originated and started it. What do you like to do for yourself apart from the organization? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I'm not very, I'm not good at that. (laughs) Recently, um, I'm trying to really work on this, honestly, because I'm not good at it at all. I've been on kind of like an individual health kick. So just really not, I'm not, I don't want to say like dieting because I'm focusing on just like physical sleep, stress, like all components, not just like I want to lose weight, but like, am I sleeping good? Am I working out kind of thing? And am I, am I just doing like, fun activities just for fun to get that mm-hmm. mental break. I'm a super big reader. I'm always oh. having a couple books going on. I love what fiction. genre do you like? Oh, you like fiction? Okay. I well, say what I, genre. I, I, I fiction. I'm love though. Biographies. I'm on an Obama biography. I don't know why I love learning about the details of the white house. I just think it's That's so, so interesting. I start, I have that book. It's been a while since I've gotten it. I mean, I read a little bit, but it's very interesting. The yeah, inner and I don't mean like, I'm not, I'm not interested in like the politics. I'm interested in like the people that run that place behind closed doors. And I'm really big on just overall like leadership books. So that's one I just like learning, you know, about different styles or how to be better at it. But I would say right now the biographies reading would, would be my highlight. What is your favorite Latino tradition? Dance. I'm a dancer. So my husband's a musician and I'm a dancer. So I've done like traditional folkloric. I've done flamenco, I've done salsa. So I just, I love kind of learning about all that, but really learning like all the different influences. So for example, in in the Mexican culture and the tradition, there's, you know, tons of different types of dresses. Well, that actually is all influenced by the geography of where they are. We do different presentations and I made the dance winner presentation, but it's so interesting. Like for example, Veta Cruz, if you see those, those are all white light dresses. Well, that's because that's the hottest part and the white reflects the sun and they're on the beach and the girls have fans because it's hot and aprons, but then there's another part that's more of a cowboy theme and that's because they're more in the desert. So just like really learning about all that stuff. Um, I love the physical yeah, dance part, but there's so much like historical reference to it. It gets, it gets really interesting, kind of like the altar there's really like technical parts of why costumes are made the way they are. So just to remind everybody, it's squawk.org. S-Q-A-C-C. No, you, no, you. And you can check out the website and see what programs and events are offering. And you can donate through there. And then you are located 1222 Broadway Street. Mm -hmm. It's like the main building with the little shop that you have in there. You're closed on Mondays. You're open Tuesday from nine to seven. Open Wednesday through Friday from 9 to 3, and then Saturday and Sunday appointment only. Yep. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I had a blast just listening to you talk about it. (laughs) No, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity. Yes. And then for anyone listening, 
stay tuned for another episode next month.